Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud, episode 58, with me, your host, Jackie Shea. There was devastation. My body had gone through a war that I had no ammunition for. I believe that if you want to overcome illness and thrive in life, then self-advocacy and hopeful connection through shared experience are necessary ingredients. Healing Out Loud is designed to bring you just that, inspiring, relatable voices that have made it through their darkest days to ultimate triumph by advocating for themselves and engaging with empowering self-care tools. I want you to start healing today. If you like what you hear and want more, there are three ways you can stay in touch. Follow me on Instagram at Jackie. that's S-H-E-A-J-A-C-K-I-E. Join my newsletter at JackieShea.com or contact me directly through JackieShea.com and I will see how I can support you and meet your specific needs. If you missed the last episode with Stephanie Foyer on anosmia, check it out at JackieShea.com slash 57. In just a moment, we are going to meet my guest this week, Cindy Kennedy. Cindy Kennedy is a nurse practitioner who worked in women's health for over 20 years. She practiced gynecology and has cared for thousands of patients and became a nurse practitioner after realizing she wanted more patient-centered care. She contracted Lyme disease in 2011, never saw a tick or a bullseye rash. Her symptoms were subtle at first, and then in 2011, her disease struck with vengeance. Even as a knowledgeable healthcare professional, the struggles to find a cause became overwhelming. Searching for answers to her failing health, she sought the care of multiple doctors, all of whom did not help. Her illness was a mystery. In general, she discovered that healthcare professionals are not adequately trained to recognize and treat Lyme disease and its co-infections. She came to feel the same sinking feeling that other Lyme sufferers must bear, the endless walk down the frightening path of misdiagnoses, shattered hope, and disappointment. Resources for learning were not very credible. As her health improved, she became passionate about providing education and guidance for those seeking information about Lyme disease, health, and healing. All this has led to the development of her popular podcast series, Living with Lyme, and her private practice, Pursue Wellness. I'm going to dive in with Cindy as much as I can, asking her about her Lyme symptoms, diagnosis, and treatment. I'm also going to ask her about what it was like to be a medical professional and witness how little support that profession gave her in healing. I also want to know about gut health and how Cindy used laughter and a sense of humor to heal. Hi, Cindy. Hello, Jackie. How are you today? I'm so good today. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's getting warmer here up in the uh, northeast. So yeah, we're... you're in you're in cold cold place, a very cold place. Yeah, yeah, we are. But I'll tell you, seeing the the little bulbs come up, the little flowers, we just know it's over. The worst is over. You're we're in, in the home stretch. You're in Massachusetts, right? I am. Tick Central. You got it. This yeah. Northeast is inundated. Mm-hmm. But I got bit in Los Angeles. I like to remind everybody that there are ticks everywhere, even when you think there aren't. Yes, yes. Um, up at UMass in Amherst here, they have uh, the Tick Check Lab. And um, it's called, I think it's called Tick Report. And uh, their analysis of all these ticks that come in, they do keep track and log where they're coming from, and they have received ticks from every single state, including Hawaii, although they think that kind of got there by travel, but uh, it's every state. Nothing's left out. You know, I used to live in Hawaii, actually, and um, and I did a lot, you know, I did a lot of camping there. I did a lot of hiking there. I did a lot of being like naked in the woods there because that's, I mean, in the in the rainforest because it's kind of like you go skinny dipping in the waterfall and then you like, you hang for a little while. Truly, that's really? life. Oh, yeah, wow. that's life. Okay. So... I remember when I when I moved to LA, I was so bummed because I was like, oh, there are all these things you have to worry about here that you just don't have to worry about in Hawaii. And I, when I got Lyme disease, I met with my, um, I met with a Lyme literate doctor and we were talking and I was like, you know, 
because she, she was trying to see if I had been bitten uh, previously. And I was like, you know, you know, I did live in Hawaii. I was like really careless there, but there are no ticks in Hawaii. And she paused me and looked at me and said, oh, there are ticks in Hawaii. She said, I have two patients that got infected in Hawaii. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Just when you think it's safe to go outdoors. I know. <laughs> right, right? Yep. All right, Cindy, let's dive in. So the first question I've been asking lately that I'm I'm really into is what was the most emotional pain you felt in your life prior to illness and Lyme disease? I always had a difficult time from growing up uh, feeling like I was being taken care of. I was always kind of the one that had to take care of myself. Um, you know, I mean, loving parents, but, you know, in that era, I'm in my 50s. You know, I think it just was different, and I was an only child. So that that I took along with me for a long time. And then, of course, getting sick and having no clue of what was wrong with me and not many of the providers, you know, a dozen, I guess, they weren't taking care of me. So that just stuck with me. And, and, you know, it's very hard. It's very hard because you feel, you feel like, oh gosh, I wish someone would step up to the plate here. And a little bit, then you start thinking, oh, am I selfish? Should I, you know, just master this all on myself? And, and so that was, that was the thing that I had harbored for a long, long time. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're talking too about past trauma really influencing the traumas, the ways that you're specifically triggered by illness. And one of that was also really true for me is I really struggled with the abandonment and the lack of care I felt in my childhood. And then when I got sick and and I felt deeply abandoned by the medical community who were supposed to be kind of um, save it, focused on saving my life, and my life was in their hands, and I felt so abandoned by them in general. You know, it really, it really triggered me deeply. Thank yeah, you. I'm shaking time. my head because what do you do? What do you do? I get uh, emails from um, people who were referred to me and, and in the pediatric realm, which is just so near and dear to my heart, Mother's saying, I found a tick on my 18-month-old, two-year-old, my four-year-old, whatever, sent it off to the lab. It came back positive, and my pediatrician refuses to treat me because my child didn't have a bullseye, isn't sick. And yes, of course, Lyme disease, even if you do get bit by an infected tick, not all people will get sick. However, we all know that children are much more susceptible and it's their little lives, you know, and, and if they're really young, they can't talk. And what is, what do they know about feeling tired or feeling pain? It's very different when they're not, you know, speaking or don't understand the words to actually say. And I find that really difficult. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to change it. I, I'm only one person. I don't think I can change it because a lot of these doctors are just unwilling to come to the side of the people who are are Lyme literate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's, and, and that's actually something I'm wondering. As a healthcare provider, before you got sick with Lyme, what were your thoughts about Lyme disease? What did you know about it? What did you think of it? Did you believe in it? I knew it was there. Uh, I knew a couple of people. I knew they were treated and got well. And I had no idea about the bureaucracy, the controversy, the lack of testing sensitivity and reliability. I had no, I had no clue. And it wasn't until I met uh, my limey friend, as I call her, her name is Jen, and she actually pointed me in the right directions and she taught me. And all of a sudden it was just so eye-opening. And and so here we go again. This is this is a human rights disaster. Mm. Yeah. Did you have any patients actually before that you knew, that you had worked with that had Lyme? Well, 
That's uh, that's a great question, and uh, the the answer to that is that I practice gynecology, so I wasn't the uh, you know the forefront of of people who are running to their doctor because they're not feeling well. I did, however, in my little bitty practice, you know, uh, diagnose a few people. As I became more and more literate, I was not going to let people who have not been adequately tested or adequately treated, I made sure. And yes, I, I did find some and I pushed for some others and I, you know, got pushback from some of the doctors uh, when I found someone with a very high C-reactive protein that can mean a lot of different things, but one of the things it can mean a bacterial infection. And the answer I got when I was talking to the patient and encouraging her, because it's not in gynecology, you should not be necessarily taking care of this. The answer I got from the patient, from the physician is, well, the nurse practitioner drew the labs, let her deal with it. And, you know, it's like, oh, come on, guys, we're all we're all fighting the same fight. Why are we not you know, collaborating on, on this lab result and trying, and they just, they don't, they don't take responsibility. Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that actually the more you know about Lyme, the more you can be in any medical practice and, and see symptoms. You know, you have spotting between periods, maybe your thyroid's affected. Why is your thyroid affected, right? You have really heavy bleeding suddenly. You have no period suddenly. Mm -hmm. All of these things can actually lead to, you know, there's an underlying issue, of those things. And, and so when you start digging, they could totally lead to Lyme disease. You never, you never know. Right. But in general medicine, no one is going to figure that out. No one is going to go to the gut barrier, the, you know, your gut health, your thyroid health associated with that adrenals. Mm -hmm. They're just not. And, right. you know, in this particular area, I'm talking about where I live, uh, immediately here in Western Mass, there just is not functional and integrative health. There is a couple of centers, uh, people who have found them stay there and you can't get in. So mm. by myself opening a practice, um, which is pursuewellness.us, in case anybody wants to know, uh, we're able to do a lot of this testing. What's really neat is we work with people remotely. It's a video platform. And, you know, the more I learn, I have so much, you know, uh, information coming at me and you have to kind of dissect it out. And the common factor is you've really got to go and look at the gut, find out the gut health and then move forward from there. You're not your medicine doesn't know it, believe in it, not taught. Yeah, I want to talk all about gut health with you, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to ask about some of your Lyme symptoms. What were, what were your first symptoms? What's your story? All right. So, and, and there were spaces in between things. So initially I got this crazy wrist pain and, you know, I felt like I was like, can't even pull my sheet up. So sheet, uh, my sheets up, <laughs> can't even pull my sheets up. And then it kind of just went away. And then I started with kind of fatigue and I always was one of those kids growing up that was more tired than anyone else. And so I liked my naps and whatnot. So, you know, I'd be down and out like for weekends and we just didn't know why. And we had my daughter's wedding coming up. And then my, my best, best buddy, my dog got sick and very stressful. And all of a sudden, um, after the wedding, Things were a little bit stable now with my dog. I uh, went on a conference. I went to a conference in Texas and on the way home, got on the plane and I had a sudden onset of anxiety. Like I'm laughing in my head because I know exactly what it is. And I just felt restless. I was, you know, crisscrossing my legs and I was kind of moving in the seat and thinking, and I was by myself. So um, the person next to me must have thought I was out of my mind. And then I started, you know, I got home, got settled, and then a horrific sleep disturbance. 
I was waking multiple times at night. And it was, and then of course, you know, if you're not sleeping, and we all know that that's critical for health and wellness, it really took a toll on me. And then it just was a, it was terrible, terrible downhill from there with, you know, flu symptoms and uh, swollen glands. And I mean, you can see this cascade going on. And I look back, there was no way, even though I was tested a gazillion times, nothing was striking. I never had uh, a tick on me, although I had, you know, high risk uh, environment and walking in the woods with my dogs and things of that nature. But you know, people were reading the test results and not understanding they weren't reliable. So all of this went on. I'm hopping from provider to provider to provider. So it was about 2011 when it started, and I wasn't diagnosed till about 2015. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was a long time. And so there was, there was devastation. My body had gone through a war that I had no ammunition for. And now what was I going to do? I had to put myself in, in someone's hands. You know, and I did the whole Lyme treatment with antibiotics and the die-off was horrific. I couldn't detoxify nor now what I know is how to help people detoxify and what to offer them. Well, none of that was offered. And I had to go on and get a pick line and get um, IV antibiotics because neurologically I just was so off. And um, as time progressed, and we're going over, you know, we're on antibiotics for about a year and a half, I ended up having an awful, awful allergic reaction and had to stop. And at that point, I really was ready. I really said, this is no way to live. I, I don't know if I'm worse on them or off them. But I did, uh, I did see a Lyme-specific doctor in New York. And the biggest plus throughout this treatment was the symptoms I had for Babesia. Um, the shortness of breath, the, you know, inability to climb the stairs. I was in pretty good shape. You know, I, I it was terrible to feel that way. So he did start treat, treatment with Mepron and that did make a huge difference for me. And so since that was better and I had this allergic reaction, I said, that's it. I just got to stop. And I said to him, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen am I now, you know, going to lose ground? And he said, you may very well not. And that was so perfect. It was a positive. So I was so happy to hear that there's a good chance that I won't. So, you know, moving forward, I was left with, you know, I was skin and bones and I, I had to figure out what to do. And that's where the big nutrition started and learning about gut health and just kind of moving forward. And it's, it's been a battle, you know, you're talking about since 2016. So it's three years to get myself to a point where I'm actually not going from the couch to my bed, to work, to canceling uh, social things. I actually am functioning like a pretty good normal human. This is really good. Mm -hmm. Wow. That three, wait, 2011 to 2015, so four years, that four yep. years where you were without a diagnosis. Um, yes. I, you know, I didn't go very long without a diagnosis. I went about three weeks and I ended up getting as sick as I did, which is crazy, right? But... Um, I talk to a lot of different people, my clients, people that aren't my clients. I talk to people all the time that they go that, that period without a diagnosis. And when they finally get one, they go, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just so relieved to be told that I have Lyme disease. And I'm like, it doesn't sound crazy. In fact, everyone says the same thing. So that period where you're not diagnosed and you're wrestling with symptoms, by the way, my three-week period of that, I was out of my mind. I was on Google, I was depressed, I wasn't sleep. I was out of my mind trying to figure out what was wrong with me and feeling so out of control. 
So did those four years feel almost just worse than even the worst of your treatment? It was a roller coaster. And my husband and I will tell, we tell the story all the time. We actually uh, are guest speakers at a lot of the conferences or support groups. And we talk about the whole process of being a couple and dealing with this. And you have to really survive Lyme disease as a couple. And he was just spectacular. I know a lot of people who've lost their spouses or um, boyfriends, girlfriends, family members, close friends, etc. over this because people are hanging. We're hanging for years and people think you're crazy. And, you know, you're basically uh, an insect bite, uh, tick bite. You know, one tick bite in terms of getting a diagnosis that you're have a psychiatric illness, you know, because you're there, you're, you're frequent flyer at the doctor, you're not feeling good. They do tests, you're not feeling better and nothing's happening, nothing's happening. But, but for me, this roller coaster ride was because each visit with a new practitioner, that first visit in, I thought this was going to be it. So you'd be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Then you go back and either you get, mm, I don't know, or geez, you know, uh, maybe you should see this type of doctor and then this type of doctor. And maybe we just ought to just get a uh, sleep study. And then the sleep neurologist says, gee, I've never seen this before. You're waking 32 times every hour. And, you know, isn't it do no harm? Isn't it when you're when you got something in your lap that is so out of the norm? Shouldn't you be doing something about it? And it just it's just a battle that goes on and on and on. So so that was the roller coaster. And, you know, it beats you. It beats you down and you do get sad and you, you know, I'm kind of like this person. I didn't lay down and die. I didn't go on disability. I just kept pushing forward. And, you know, I had this, uh, we always talk about this. I had this uh, invisible white flag. And when I was out, we were doing errands or doing anything. And I just, that was it. I would go like, you know, waving it. And, uh, my husband knew. I didn't have to say, oh, my God, oh, my God, get me home. Um, he would know that that was the end of that and just let's get home. I mean, I could I could sleep 20-some-odd hours a day even though it wasn't good quality sleep. Yeah, I'm really glad you bring up the roller coaster, the hope and then the fallout and the hope and the fallout and the hope and the disappointment, right? Because that is, even with a diagnosis, that was true for me. I would see doctors and they would say, like my first Lyme literate uh, doctor, she said, um, antibiotics will, will take it because you've only been infected for three weeks. You have the rash. You're one of the lucky ones. Do these antibiotics for two months. We'll give you a hardcore program so that you never have to hear from Lyme again. And I was like, great. I was positive it was over. It wasn't. I got sicker. Again, she gave me that same. She was like, this time we'll add the bisulin and then you're going to feel better. Right. And it went on and on and on like that for me through doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor who told me that like this one thing was probably going to change my life. And it didn't. And it wouldn't, right? And really, it's similar to your story. It was when I took healing fully into my own hands and did the research and figured out how to deeply, holistically care for myself. And when I I really accepted that each doctor was going to tell me that the thing they were going to give me was going to work, when I really came to acceptance that like medicine is a practice, doctors don't have the answers, you know, I... I just need to take this home with me. I, I was relieved of a lot of my anxiety and a lot of that roller coaster of hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment, hope, disappointment. <laughs> and so I want to I want to switch to since you had started talking about this holistic, more focusing on your gut going on. What were some of the things that supported you when you got off of antibiotics? What were some of the things you did that you feel like really helped you heal? It still took a while, and I have to say that just concentrating on the quality of the food, making sure that I truly was getting the most nutrition that I could in, you know, power packed meals and, you know, learning the dirty dozen and the clean 15 
that was a, a great start. And uh, from that point, really working to find what my body needed. Let's go over the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 before you okay. go on. Because you know what? <laughs> because you know what? We actually, it's something I talk about all the time, but it hasn't come up on this show. Will you go into it a little bit for, my, for, for us? All right. So the EWG, the Environmental Working Group, puts out on a regular basis all the things that they feel should be uh, ingested organic or what you can get away with traditional conventional vegetables and fruit. Yes, right. conventional. And so they did just release an edition uh, for 2019. And so for anyone that's interested, they can just Google EWG, Dirty Dozen Clean 15 2019, and get the list. And usually what I suggest is download it, uh, try to reduce it if you can so it's smaller, and put it in your wallet. So when you're at the grocery store, you're like, wait a minute, does broccoli have to be uh, you know, organic? And actually, I think they might have changed it. It does not have to be organic. But, you know, the best you can do. People who buy like an organic avocado or a banana, I think, are wasting their time because you're not eating the exterior. You're not eating the peel. Right. Yeah, it's a really it's a really helpful list. And it's based on, right, the herbicides, the pesticides used, how, how frequently they're used, glyphosate specifically. So the things that are on the Dirty Dozen list, eating them conventionally can – can almost in some cases do more harm than good if they're on the top of that list. Like, right. When we mean the dirty dozen, we're tra- talking about eating those organic. They need to be organic. Yeah. And one of the things that are difficult is getting certified as an organic farmer. Uh, those plots of land that they're growing their fruits, their vegetables on, they have to go through a rigorous inspection and you have to prove how long that ground has been clean. And so it's not that easy to do. Sometimes using your local farmers, if you have, uh, you know, local people who um, grow in their little greenhouses and whatnot, and you talk to them, you may find that they do not use pesticides. Now, not necessarily can they claim it's organic, but you could probably trust it, especially if they're eating it. Yeah, like at farmer's markets and stuff. At farmer's markets, a lot of things are not USDA organic because of the incredibly tedious um, inspection that happens. So right. so you can ask them, do you use pesticides, herbicides, ask. Um, so thank you for going into that with me. I hope that's helpful. Let's keep going. So you find out the dirty dozen, the clean 15, you start taking better care of your nutritional intake. And really, I uh, started with a naturopath. It took me about seven months to get in. And uh, she started me on the Buner protocol, which is a combination of a bunch of herbs, Japanese knotweed, cat's claw are the foundation. And also on a wonderful product called Pectisol C. And that particular product is a, is a higher fiber product and it actually acts as a binder. So that reduced the inflammation dramatically. Now think about this. This is in your mouth, you swallow it. It's actually binding things, inflammatory things, toxins, whatnot, right in the gut. And we're talking about the small intestine. You know, that's the primary area of what we've got to clean up. And so that made a difference. And I stayed on the Buner protocol completely for about a year. Now I'm kind of, uh, I've weaned down a little bit. And now that I've uh, been educated in integrative functional medicine and care, I now realize that the first thing you should do is evaluate the gut you should look at that with an organic acids test. It's called OATS, O A 
T. And uh, Great Plains does a wonderful job with that. And it's nice because it's the first morning urine. You don't have to worry about, you know, when am I going to get to the lab, whatever. You do it right from your home. Um, other options are stool analysis, which gives a lot more information. And then a nutrition evaluation. So you basically have your map laid out on the ground. You then know where you start, where you're starting, and your destination and where you're going to end up. And then you plot out from there. There's people that talk a lot about don't don't go after the bugs. When you're when you're finally diagnosed, don't just jump on those because they're you're gonna get sick. It, what you need to do is find out about your gut, how it's helping to detoxify and process things support that first, heal that up, and then step by step, go out from that point. What do you think is the most helpful sort of holistic thing you did? That? Yeah. Well, I have to say that. And I have to say, uh, when I got my accounts with all of these uh, functional testing companies, they're always very good about offering uh, discounts. Now, some of these companies do accept insurance and some do not. So you have to pay out of pocket. So, you know, they offered me things at, at a good discount. And I just said, I'm going to do them all. Number one is I want to see what the reports look like. I want to be able to interpret them. Uh, they do a tremendous amount of teaching. So it's it's great. And all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, what do you mean I don't have any glutathione? Um, oh my God, how come my bees are like in the toilet? You know, I don't have any bees. Bees are so important for methylation and the process of each of your cells functioning. And doing my podcast series, uh, I've met a tremendous amount of experts and all of the topics that we talk about have, you know, I, I guess I should give myself an honorary degree because, (laughs) you know, I'm spending an hour a week with, uh, with, with experts. So I think doing the test, looking at it, understanding them, and now moving forward to try to continue to heal the gut. I think this is, this is going to be it. I'm on the top of that roller coaster. Amazing. So <laughs> why um, why did you get discounts? What did you get discounts on exactly for people? Oh, as, a, as a medical provider who has a practice and I have, um, you know, I have a practice with a tax ID and a provider number, et cetera. When you, you talk to the reps, they're awesome. And they set you up, you get your account. And they usually say, okay, you know what? These are the tests we offer. And we'll offer you like a package deal because we want you. So, you know, your option is do it on yourself or uh, give it to a patient to do at a discounted rate or give it to a patient, collect money from them and make money. Mm -hmm. So of those three options, I said, I'm going to take care of me first. Good. I love it. So I did that. Yeah. I love it. And what do you think the most successful or useful productive thing you did from conventional medicine was? Nothing. <laughs> really? What about I'm thinking it through? I mean, what was it? What was What about the drug you were given for babesia? Oh, true that. True that. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad. Yes. Yes, the mepron was was key. It was key. That is very true. So that is, an, truly, it was um, developed as an anti-malaria medication. And because Babesia is very similar to malaria, that's how it, it works in killing that off. And I have to say that after a period of maybe, oh, a month or so, I really started to feel like, wow, that kind of stuff uh, is, is improving. And I was just about to go away on a really important vacation that we had planned a long time prior, assuming that I would be fine by then, um, to Europe. And, uh, people were saying to me, how are you going to even do it? How are you going to even do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess it's better to be sick in Italy than be sick in Massachusetts. (laughs) So I went and I actually did well. And one of the things that I know now, uh, comparing 
you know, six months, a year ago, way back ago, whatever, is that I have now the ability to recover. Before, I couldn't recover. I would go to, you know, a simple yoga class. I would just, oh, I feel like I have to crawl home. And the next day I'd pay for it. Now, what is wrong when you explain that to a provider? The answers I got is, well, yoga can be very tough. Well, no, not when you used to do it and be fine. But now I can do things. I can stay up a little later. I, I focus my energy on hydration now. I focus my energy on making sure I am sleeping. It's, it's almost a panic feeling when it's like, what time does that party start? How long do you think we're going to stay? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I got to get home. I got to get home. I got to get to bed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that 10, to, you should really always be in bed by 10. But that 10.30 to 2.30 is a really critical time to sleep. I mean, generally, you should be sleeping about seven hours, but that's a big portion of when your body is healing Mm -hmm. and you really need to detoxify your brain, which is really not about our podcast here. But go ahead. Ask me some more questions. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I just want to say you mentioned you mentioned having sleep trouble a couple of times and I had I had really severe insomnia. Like I did not have sleep disturbances. I had I had no sleeping five nights in a row. Couldn't close my you eyes. Just fi- couldn't fall asleep. No, no sleeping. No, there was no sleeping. It was. I did everything under the sun. It was absurd and it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And what I like to be the voice of is that you can still heal. Like, eat, because what we hear so much is if you're not sleeping, you're not healing. Like, you need to sleep. You need to sleep. And and while today I know how true that is. I mean, it's scientifically focused and true. I also like to be a voice of like you know, I could not sleep and I still made improvements and I still did what I could and I still focused on resting my body and like eventually I, I did find a way to sleep. I mean, so it's it's a crazy thing, the sleep disturbances that can come with Lyme disease and, and they caused me so much panic because I was like, if I don't sleep, I don't heal and then I'd be in this anxiety thing, right? So Well, you, you ended up getting yourself into that crazy sympathetic nervous system. part of your nervous system yeah. and you were being chased by that saber-toothed tiger yep. and you never got over to the parasympathetic. And it is, it is, you're right, it's a vicious cycle and you're absolutely right about rest. You know, letting, letting your body power down and calm down. And I'm so glad you did start to sleep again because that in and of itself can drive people absolutely mad. Oh, and it did. It did drive me mad. It did. It took me like a year. I think I didn't sleep for like two years. It did drive me mad. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. I'm grateful every night I get to sleep. <laughs> I know, huh? Small things in life. I know. So I want to talk about um, your kind of darkest moments and how you made it through. So let's take a little break for the self-care tool. Welcome to our self-care segment of the podcast where we arm you with new, affordable, and easy-to-use tools in each episode to kick some self-care butt. My hope is that you will come to collect a number of ways to take care of yourself inside and out. So add these to your toolbox and watch your inner resourcefulness grow with each use. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness and freedom. Let's dive in. All right, Cindy, talk to us about one of the biggest things that help you get through, helps you get through even, and uh, why you want us to focus our attention on it. Okay. I'm going to explain that I was a silly kid. I love to make people laugh. I acted silly all the way through about one second ago, (laughs) (laughs) I find humor in a variety of things. Okay. When it was the darkest times, maybe I wasn't laughing much at all, but in my practice in gynecology, that is a really, really difficult visit for most patients. You know, they're very vulnerable. They're, they're naked and, um, when someone would say, oh, Cindy, you're so funny, you make it easy to come here. I always said to them, you know what? You're a captive audience. You have no clothes on underneath that that 
that exam gown. And so you're, you've got to laugh. <laughs> but making people laugh was really, really important. So if you fast forward into being sick, I learned that you have to concentrate on a positive being. And to be positive, for some people, it just might be self-affirmations. I can do this. I'm doing well. I'm whatever. But for me, I find that a little bit of levity in the worst situations or, you know, finding humor. There's everything in life. There is a funny to everything. Like my daughter uses the word, oh, mom and dad, what shenanigans are you doing right now? Or what are you getting into? That word makes me laugh because it is shenanigans. It is fun. So when you can be open, accept some humor, find the the humor, you're going to, you're going to actually release endorphins and that will make you feel better because you do have a choice, you know, and in my podcast, I always say, you know, you get lemons, your choice is to be sour or you make lemonade. And a lot of times people do choose to be sour and they, they don't see the benefit even in living. And I see the benefit in finding humor and levity in tough situations. So I think that if people really focus on themselves, they're mindful, they're aware, and, and they can giggle. It doesn't have to be a huge belly laugh, but if they can giggle it really is a positive thing for their healing. It is. You're absolutely correct. Thank you so much for this tool and for bringing this topic to the podcast. I am in the middle of reading a book called Anatomy Anatomy of an Illness uh, by Cousins. It might be Norman Cousins. Anyway, in his 60s. Have you read this book, Cindy? I have not. You'll love it. You should read it because it's all about this. <laughs> in his 60s, uh, no. In the 60s, I'm not sure how old he was, he gets diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis and his body is totally taken out. He's in a hospital. He can't stand his knees. His joints hurt so bad. He has nodules all over his body and the doctors are like, only one in 500 people can even get better from this and you're not going to get better. That's that. And he's like, absolutely not. I refuse to believe it. So he tests his sedimentation rate and he and the sedimentation rate is so high, it's like 88 right? Really, really high. And he he decides that he's going to with this fierce will to live that he has. He's really going to like look at what makes a difference. He can't sleep. He's in so much pain. He takes himself out of a hospital because he doesn't think a hospital is a healing place. And he starts noticing that when he gets belly laughter, when he experiences belly laughter, it's Dang, it's like yeah. anesthetizing to his pain and he gets sleep for two hours. So he notices this. So he starts putting on these really funny movies and laughing and going to sleep for two hours and laughing and going to sleep. So then he has the doctor test him, do a blood test of the sedimentation rate earlier in the day and then after he laughs. And each time the sedimentation rate would drop another five points. And it was cumulative. It lasted. So then he finds vitamin C. And anyway, this book is all about like him really being his own patient advocate, his own advocate and finding out the things that that helped him get better. Laughter is actually medicine. It might even be the best medicine. I don't know. It is. But you know what? It's unfortunate that some people cannot find the humor in anything. I mean, even people who watch um, comedies or see a comic or whatnot, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a learned behavior. Maybe you just have to concentrate on on understanding maybe why you don't laugh. Maybe you're really a sad person in general because something really you haven't dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that I did not laugh for the first like year and a half of being sick. I found no humor. I found no humor in anything. I was deeply, deeply depressed. I felt like the world was mocking me. I was like, I hate this so much. But and did but but did you while you were going through that, did you even realize that you aren't laughing? No. Or it's not no, until after. I didn't realize. And then I met with somebody who had gotten well from MS. And she said to me, you need three things. You need gratitude, you need this other thing, vibration. And she said, and you need to laugh. 
And in that moment, I went, I haven't laughed in a year and a half. Oh my goodness. And yep. I and I started laughing right away. So see, sometimes what you're saying is like some people can't find the humor. It might just be that they're not realizing that they're not laughing or finding the humor because that right. was true for me. Right. And that that is true. Um, but it, but it's all being aware. People walk around the world. They're in a daze. People drive from one place to another and like have this sensation that they had no clue of how they got there. And that's because their mind is all over the place. They're not focusing. They're not enjoying what's around them. You know, they may have missed uh, any type of humorous situation, you know, like I think that animals provide a lot of humor Mm. and yes, and they do silly things and they look at you funny and whatnot. And, you know, you just, the commercials nowadays, they kill me. They just crack me right up, Yeah, you know? Do you think that Lyme disease actually helped you to have even, an even stronger sense of humor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what are some of the so, ways you changed for the better with Lyme disease? It's just learning about how to be mindful and, you know, that kind of stuff. I have to, I mean... I just think I have a better sense of myself now and suffering in general because it's not just Lyme disease people are suffering with. It's a lot of different diseases. And you, you hear about people that come to terms with maybe their, their destiny or uh, maybe they're, they're in the last stages of their life or you know, whatever. They, they come to terms with it. And I think a lot of people just need to open up their eyes and, and think about it. And I, I, my eyes are all, they're pretty wide open right now. I guess one of the best things I don't do well, but I learned from my husband through his friend is when, especially guys, they all ball bust each other. And uh, this one guy the way he's dealt with it is to turn it around and make fun of himself. Because if he's making fun of him himself and everybody's laughing, they stop making fun of him. Um, I don't know how to make fun of myself quite yet, but I do find humor in the silliest things. Mm. You know, like if my, oh my God, my hair is, I've got, you know, longer hair. And if it twirls itself and it looks like a heart in the, in the bathtub or whatnot, I go and I grab my husband. Look at this. Look at this. It's like a heart, you know, (laughs) it's, it's the simple things, right? It's the simple things. And I know that there's a period of your illness that you thought you were going to die. Oh, so I imagine that there's gratitude to be just alive here. Yeah. And I, and I say that, um, I've written that, I mean, you're so sick and you're just feel like you can't get any worse. I'm definitely going to die. And then you realize you didn't die. And then you wish you had, because it's sometimes so insurmountable. You cannot get through it. You don't think you can get through one more minute let alone a day, a week, because you don't change. It's not like, okay, you have a 24-hour bug and, you know, you have vomiting and diarrhea and then the next day you feel a little better, the next day you're pretty good and then the following day you're probably great. This isn't. This road is long. Yeah, so what's your advice to people that are in that position where it's just day in and day out and they're like, man, I kind of wish that I would just go? Right, right. Um, you got to step back. You've got to make sure your roadmap is leading you to where you want to go. I see so often on support group pages, Facebook pages, et cetera, people are like, well, I did this and well, I did that. And people keep jumping from treatment to treatment to treatment. You really need to focus on your betterment, meaning that if you're with a provider, you're not getting anywhere and they're not willing to make changes or they can't give you a good reason of why you need to hold on a little while longer, then you may need to find someone that can help you. You know, maybe, maybe you are doing better, but you're so darn depressed. You can't, you can't see it. Maybe you need that emotional support. Well, maybe you need to 
you know, get a health coach. Maybe you need to see, um, you know, a therapist, but you really have to try to be your own advocate, educate yourself, learn, make sure you know the facts and, and then help, you know, get help with your providers to help you get better, not just to stay not well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that roadmap, that roadmap is really important and to stick with it. I watch a lot of people bounce, 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 because it's not working. One month later, I'm not better. It's not working. Next. Yeah. Next, next, next. Yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not a few days, few weeks. It can be months that people, and, and that's hard, you know, for people who have been suffering for a long time. And then to know that, geez, these treatments, it's not going to be quick and fast. And you just have to, you have to be open and prepared that once you start on a healing journey, even if you're not feeling better in a week or two, that there is hope that maybe in a few more weeks, you will start to feel better. And it might be just a little bit. And then you might have a setback. But as long as you are going forward, you are actually feeling even a little bit better. You know that you're on the right path. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I think a lot of people might need to hear that. Um, Is there anything you want to leave us with? Just to never give up. Mm. I think people lose so much. They, they, they lose, they can lose physical things, emotional things, personal things. And, uh, you got to continue to work for yourself and, and ask for help. And if people are giving you help, say, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Don't, uh, don't settle you know, with if you're not getting the help you need, you really need to to work towards getting uh, those people. And I know it's very hard. I know it's very hard because you just don't have the time and the energy and you're trying to work maybe or you can't work, but you it's very, very hard. But ask for help. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I love that. Tell us where we can find you. Well, I'm right here. Can you see me? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> You can find me uh, two places. You can find me through uh, livingwithlime.us, and that is the uh, website for my podcast. And my email is is, uh, on there. Or you can find me through pursue, P-U-R-S-U-E, wellness.us, and that is my integrative health practice. I practice alongside of a registered dietitian. So we kind of handle things from the gut out. So, you know, the roadmap, we're planning out that roadmap. We're setting up where our journey is going to take us. And we're going to start, you know, at the ground up. I love it. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at JackieShay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through JackieShay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.